This is the Epilogue audio experience. You know, if you say that, you know, I succeed every day. No, I had multiple failures. Everywhere I failed, everywhere I failed. But more I fell, I became much stronger. Welcome everyone, Om Shanti, to where East meets West in collaboration with Epilogue and America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna, and I couldn't be more excited to be interviewing our next guest, someone that I've had on the air before, but somebody who has struck me and has fascinated me with the journey of his life. Let me tell you a little bit about Arun Singh. He is an MD and is a preeminent cardiac surgeon who has personally performed, get this, He's been in over 20,000 hearts. He has performed over 20,000 heart surgeries. He has earned numerous awards as a physician, including the American Heart Association's Hero at Heart Award and the Milton, was it Hamuski Outstanding Physician? Hamuski, yes. Thank you, Award. In practice at Rhode Island Hospital since 1975 for 20 years, Dr. Singh was voted top doc by Rhode Island Monthly Magazine. He was also elected to the Rhode Island Heritage Hall of Fame, only the second person of Indian descent to receive this distinction. Aren't you proud of him? His memoir is titled, Your Heart, My Hands an immigrant's remarkable journey to become one of America's preeminent cardiac surgeons. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Arun Singh to where East meets West. Dr. Singh, I'm so glad to have you back today. Welcome. I'm glad to have me with you. So look, this COVID has been no joke. It's been impacting all of our lives in ways that I don't even think we're able to find the words. What's it been like for you so far as a practicing physician? What have you been learning a lot about yourself in particular? Well, one thing we learn that you can't fool the mother nature, the mother nature. We have all the science and technology. Mother nature has its own discourse. Uh, we also learn that the we all vulnerable regardless of economic status early on the covid hit the poor people now as as the second and third phase of covid coming is hitting the younger and the wealthier population too so the disease the virus does not discriminate the rich and the poor in the mm. early days it did but later on it doesn't so it's been eye-opening it's been I also learned from COVID, the poor country the people who doesn't have the health care the people who are disadvantaged are more vulnerable than we are lucky ones who have the ability of the better health care the vaccination and the facility mm, yeah it's so true so it's been challenging for many of us i don't care if you're spiritual not whatever you think you are uh, there's something about the uncertainty in the air, Dr. Singh. It's like nobody knows. And then the, the ignorance of do you take a vaccine, not take a vaccine? Uh, we don't want to take a vaccine. It's this. It's just been so crippling. But at the age of 22 years, you left, you know, you left behind a life in India. 
And you had a lot of setbacks and your father's doubt, uh, you know, you went through a lot with your relationship. You came with $5 in your pocket. Tell us a little bit about your childhood in India and what actually led you to take that journey to the USA? First of all, you know, when I was, my dad was a headmaster. This was his second marriage to my mother. His first marriage, he had one child, a son and a daughter. Son was three year old and a daughter was one year old and the wife that travels to their parents' house and a train crashed, they all three died. So my dad was very depressed and he moved from one part to the another part of the India. Those days, this is in 1940s and 30s. This was the India, which is no longer, wasn't a Pakistan there or any, a Bangladesh. Mm. So he moved from Lahore all the way to the other end, the east part of the India from north. He never talked about, he had a depression. He married my mom, who was, my maternal grandfather was pro-British and more European. He was educated in Oxford. And so he was more British, wore a fine suit, smoked cigar, drank scotch. So uh, without the permission of my paternal grandfather, traditional, who was pro-Ghanese, so he kind of objected it. He did not like it. And after he got married and we were three brothers and sister, he basically disowned us. Mm. When I was a kid, six, uh, six and a half year old, I was very curious. You may call it notorious. I decided to go in the afternoon to climb a guava tree and fetch a guava on the top of the tree. As I was clamoring deftly to the to the guava tree out of the you know, and suddenly I saw a monkey was also clamoring. And next thing I realized he shrieked at me. I see a a square jaw monkey looking right on my face with the fang-like teeth hanging out. I got really scared. I was up about 15 feet, plus 15 feet high. Mm. There was a rock underneath. I got so scared, I lost the surrounding. I let the branches go down, and next thing, I was on the rock. I had a big laceration in my forehead. I had a fractured skull, missed my right eye, and landed most of my injury landed in my right elbow. My right elbow was completely shattered. I was unconscious. My younger brother found me. He informed my parents. I was taken to a, a small dispensary where it was a small village, small town. This is what we're talking in 1950 in India. How I, did you survive that? I somehow Jeez. was a blessing of the God. So they showed me up and they said my hand was really mangled. I need to go to a bigger facility which will be, to, otherwise I'm gonna lose my right hand. At that point in time, my parents did take me 150 miles away close to my maternal grandfather uh, hospital where orthopedic surgeon put my hand together. First time, it didn't come right. The hand was remained just not union. My hand remained deformed and I did not have any function of the hand. That means I could not lift a piece of paper, I could not hold a pen, I could not hold a coin. People would throw a coin on the floor and I would look and cry. And uh, so at that point in time, after two years passed by, I did not have any education. I lost the schooling during period of time. I mean, 
treated. My mom your brain got one. hurt, right? I mean, yeah. there was some brain injury, right? Yeah, I had a cut. So it slowed down your learning ability as well, right? So it slowed down, probably. Right, right. And at that point, my mom was only 10th grade educated. She tutored me. She, whatever she knew, she tutored me. And being an Indian woman, mother, besides three kids and a husband, she was taking care of me. So after two and three years, I grew up in a small town. And if you have been to India, if you know about India, every disease is possible. I had mm. every disease at that time, hepatitis, typhoid, malaria, asthma. Only disease I did not have leprosy as a kid. I had a chicken pox, smallpox, and a TB. Uh, after two and a half years trying to reset my hand and function properly, it never came through. At mm. that point in time, my hand was left like this. And... I remember the scene very well, Sister Jenna. Oh. Was my dad was sitting in the office with mom, and the doctor said, "Well, we've done everything else. We can leave this hand the way at least, at least he can feed himself." Wow. At that point in time, my dad got really angry, and he told me, "You mismarriage the Singh's name. You ruin your career. Now you will be beggar in the family. That's the only way you're going to make a living." The idea of to be a beggar was very painful. I had seen beggar in India, broken pain, holding the thing, looking for coin and money. I could not hold myself. I started crying. Once I started crying, at that point in time, what must mother do? She grabbed me up, yelled to dad. He says, shut up. And she told me, get up, look up, and don't give up. Three lines I never forgot. Get up, look up, and don't give up. I'll work with you. We'll fix you. She told the doctor that you have to go and fix this hand. They said they cannot have this thing because he cannot have anesthesia because he's pretty sick. His liver is not working very well, and he's going to have problems. He cannot have. So they said, only thing we can try last time to do another look without anesthesia. Mom says, you do what you have to do. So next day, I was taken to the operating room, wide awake, five strong men, two sitting on my chest, one holding my leg, one holding the arm. The surgeon grabbed my elbow with assistant. He gave a signal. The next thing, snap. It's like a bamboo. Let me tell you, Sister Gina, I had so much pain and anger. I screamed so much. That my voice, hearing my it. <laughs> voice hurt across the bay, across the mountain, all the mm -hmm. way to Himalayas. I was screaming. That memory stayed with me for many, many years. I had dreamed. I had a scare in the night, woke up, and I was, I was quite uh, frightened with that. Yeah. After that was done, the hand was cast, was taken out. It took it three years, this whole process. Wow. My, I did not have the function. Muscles was atrophy. So I needed the rehab. How do I get the rehab? There was no rehab in India. There was no weightlifting machine, elastic band, or ultrasound, or air conditioning, massage therapy. My mom, who worked with my uh, doctor, came up with an idea. She put the brick in the bag, tied my hand, and I have to walk every day on the street. So I was walking on the street totaling a brick on my back as like an inmate in penile colony. First, I carried one bag, uh, two bricks, three bricks, and finally four bricks. I will cry, I will scream, but I had no choice. Gradually, gradually, my hand got stretched out. The idea was the same. If you stimulate the muscle, 
it responds with the pressure, so it will develop. Also, I did not have a grip, so she will look, look at your mother, Arun Bhai, your mother with a 10th grade education. He was a very, look at the brilliance of that soul's yeah. mind. Well, she may not be PhD, but let me tell you, she was a, had a great personality, she had a great wit, and she was intelligent and bright. I yeah. never crossed my mother in my life till she lived. She lifted me up on the window. The windows had a crossbar, and she will, I will grab the crossbar three feet over the ground and let it go. So I'll be hanging like a lizard. For But that was to grab my increase the strength. Gradually, gradually, my strength got better, and I got ready to go to school. Then I could not. But tell me a little bit, a little bit, how old were you around that time? I was at that time, the injury was around six, so I was around nine so years old. Did they have any plans for you to get into medicine? No, zero. Wow, had, look at the that. Only, the only plan they had for me, to, uh, hopefully I could do something. My hand comes back. There was no plan for medicine. I was a medical miracle. Yeah, I was struggling. So after that, I was ready to go to school. I was tested, and I did pretty well. But we, I couldn't get to school. School already started. They said, you have to wait another year. So I had plenty of time. So what did I do? I was bored, I was angry, frustrated, curious, so I did everything which you're not supposed to do. I jumped on a, in a train, go to the next station. I walked like an Indian Dodger. I did not pick pocket, just like described in the Dickens fiction. Yeah, the book. So I did everything. I walked around the street with the uh, name of bad kid with the badge of honor that I really wore a badge. Of honor. People tell me a, if I was growing in this country, I would have been a family court in ju as a juvenile delinquent. So all of these things. So suddenly I got while I had a time, I got into kite flying. Those who have seen and read it about the uh, book uh, Kite Runner. That's a very competitive sports. Uh, and I yes. got to in, and what this really means a single kite aloft in the sky to a challenge to a neighbor, bring it on. And I got in a, a very good kite flying. Wow. Uh, do you have a big kite? Do you have yes. a big kite collection? Yes, I had a collection. I bet you don't beat mine. I bet you don't beat mine. Okay, I won't beat you. But I had the red and the black kite, and one day yeah. I was in a tournament, and I positioned myself in a height so I can leverage the kite faster. While I positioned myself, in a, and another kite came in underneath, and somebody said, watch it, he's going to take you out. And I tried to move backward, real, not realizing that was right behind me was a ditch, and there was oh. fallen pillow there, which I was standing on. Next thing, I fall in my ditch, and I broke my left hand this time. And so I had to go another year of these things. So after all of these things done, my right and the left hand, which are both crippled, I gradually got better with the help of God and my dedication to the uh, strong mother mom, and good you know, doctors. And obviously, I had yeah. no choice. I had to do it. My hand yeah. got better, and I got in school. When I got in school, I had no interest in studying. I tried to subvert my education, not completely avoid it, because kids who were in my class were much older than I was. I had, you know, I tried to cut classes. I passed this uh, high school at middle of the range, middle of the 
great. I had to be held back six months because I couldn't do very well in Sanskrit in the and the reading and writing. Some of the subjects, the yeah. Subjects, and so then I went to the community college, graduated in three years, uh, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. The only profession I knew, Sister Jenna, was the medicine because I was always with the doctors in the hospital mm-hmm. for four or five years. My dad mm-hmm. would thought well, I would be better off to be engineer or something, but I never. So I uh, and and my grandfather was I know was a doctor, but I was paternal grandfather. I never saw him because he disowned us till he I was ten years of age. He died. I never saw, never met him, never saw his picture. My maternal grandfather was, as I said to you, was educated in England, and I had exposed his infidelity. So he disowned me too. So basically. I said one day, I said, well, let's maybe I'll try to go into medical school. I took an exam and I did very well. It's a surprise to everyone. I got into medical school and the, the first thing I heard, it was very painful to me. The medical school in India was five years. They said, first thing I said, everybody was surprised that I got in. They, they, they told me, well, I'm glad he got into medical school. Our son or the Aaron will be a doctor, if not in five years, at least in six years. That it means I, I mean, I'll be just barely will make it. You barely will make it. it. Yeah. You know what? Do you ever find it? One minute. Let me jump in here, doctor. Um, you ever find that it's as if inside of you is your own passion and your own story that's unfolding for you. And then you've got these energies outside of you, other people who just can't see or feel what you're going through on the inside. And there's such downers on you. Can you imagine, did you ever, did you ever listen to them where it kind of made you feel disheartened or did you listen to them and they actually inspired you to prove them wrong? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, I think the others later, the people when say I couldn't do it, I made sure I would do it. If you say that you can't go over there, I will go there. If you say I can't be a surgeon, I will be a surgeon. And I'll tell you the story. So what happened? So I got into medical school first year. I was the 120 students. Uh, my role was 101. So I was the bottom of the class. I couldn't understand. It was, education was tougher, anatomy, physiology, everything else. Then I realized later on there was no diagnosis. I had a severe dyslexia. I had, I'm severely dyslexic, so anything I read it, I have to read four times. I have to read it. I can't concentrate to me. So I was struggling, and after first year, I was heading to this after spring break to my home, and I found out when I got home, my dad just before I arrived had a massive stroke. He was 51 year old. I go straight in the hospital. That's the first time I felt his pain. He was laying in a ward, which is a uh, room, 30 patients, wooden cot, fans were barely moving, chewing him out, unconscious. Mom was fanning the, to keep the flies away. Uh, dogs were running about in the room. Pigs were walking outside. It smelled like putrid. I was devastated. I felt his pain. I was angry. At the same time, I felt his pain. I was disheartened. At that point in time, I spoke to the doctor. The doctor said, he may not survive. If he does, he is going to be invalid. 
he's not able to do much. Right. Uh, this is in India. When yeah. you, there's no Medicare, there's no welfare. If you earn, that's what you make. We had yeah. a family which initially supported in the beginning and then gradually, this is a chronic thing. And we did not have very strong family support because my father, my grandfather disowned him, so we never saw him. And the maternal grandfather uh, was also not happy with us because I had exposes in fidelity. So, so what we do, we had every penny we had, we're doing it mere saving, we ran out. My mom became a servant. My mom became a wife, a caretaker, a nurse, etc. I saw her pain. I saw her tears in her eye when I faced her. I knew how much she was suffering. At that point, I say, I'm not going back. I'm going to drop out of medical school. I'm going to stay here. She looked at me and she says, Aaron, I was 17 years old at that time. Your father may not survive. You have two brothers and sister. Today, you are guardian of the family. You are responsible for the entire family. So suddenly I was given at the 17 a responsibility of family. I had to take my younger brothers, one on the, you know, rail on the bike, one on the back seat, you know, pedal them in a hundred degree temperature to the school. There was no yellow buses there, okay. you know, you know. And uh, so here I was doing it. My dream for being a doctor was completely shattered. I was not going and I took the summer off. At that point in time, and I saw my mom suffer, uh, the most painful in my life was we would have a dinner, and mom always sat in the, with the dinner with us. Later in the life, uh, later part, I realized she's not having a dinner with us. I would ask her, mom, how come you're not eating? She said, I'm not hungry. She wanted to make sacrifice sure. her meal meals, for you guys. Make sure, make wow. sure we ate this. And I realized that. You know, when I think about it, I said my tears. I still have my tears. But I don't know what we will do if, without mom. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, we, you know, I still have tears in my eyes when I think about. It. So she said, after that, he said, the only way we're gonna get better, we're gonna go. I want you to go back to school, study hard, and want to be man. That's the only way we can be recovered. So I went back. And I studied very hard. From the bottom of the class, I graduated first in the class in the medical school in five wow. years. And when I was there, I met a doctor who was a professor. He helped me. He said, Aaron, you are very bright. You should go to America where you can have a job, where you can make some money, and you can have better education and learning. And then you come back. So. I made the arrangements, I took exam, I did very well, I got a position. When I, we didn't have any money, so we had no money to buy a plane ticket. Worcester City Hospital in Massachusetts gave me a job, promised that they're gonna play for, pay for the plane fare, which was $600, and room and board. I said, that's wonderful. I don't need anything. Ruben, when the Indian being sleeping on a hard floor, I don't need anything. I can live on one meal. So I uh, was ready to come. The last minute, like everything, the hospital backed out to say, we have no money. We're not going to give you. If you want to come, let me tell you, 
I had no job in India. I had no place to go because I had turned it down. Mm-hmm. And here I have no place to come. I cried. And let me tell you, I prayed every temple, every mosque, and every church, please help me somehow. After eight, after eight weeks, finally my grandma, maternal grandma, put a pressure on my grandfather to please lend him $600. He eventually lent me $600 on the condition that I returned the money right away. This is loan. He made it and he's writing. I said, okay. And so he gave, so, so I bought the ticket. I have $8 in my pocket. I had never, my transportation before coming to this country was a rickshaw or the slow moving rail. Or walking on those two little legs of yours. (laughs) And now suddenly I'm flying into airplane 30,000 feet up. I took the cheapest flight, nine stop over layover, finally London. I I spent $3 from Heathrow to Victoria Station to go there and slept overnight because the the airline made the arrangements. I did not eat anything because I didn't want to spend the money. So I spent $3 that drank only water and some peanuts or cashew they gave at the airline. I was afraid to drink even the Coke. I had never exposed to Coke before. Looked to me a red wine, so I never drank Coke before. So when, so when I left the London, I had $5 in my pocket. That's Mr. Lincoln. And let me tell you, that's the most valuable money I ever held on. I had in my pocket, every five minutes I put my hand in the pocket to make sure he doesn't escape. When I arrived at the... Uh, Kennedy Airport, and I had to come to Worcester. I finally did, and uh, then I had to come to the hospital, and I had only five dollars at that point in time. I said, "How do I go to?" The, I waited last passenger when the M- airport got emptied out to go to the information desk, and I asked, "I like to go to the hospitals, the city hospital. How do you get there? How do you walk? What is it?" She looked at me in a strange way, says, sir, nobody walks. Either somebody picks you up or take a cab. I said, no, I want to walk because I didn't have money. So I didn't want to say I don't have money. So I said, give me, she said, here is a map. And she put the map on line at the yellow marker. And the first time I saw the European names and Indian names, which I never recognized. I had never How seen. How far was the hospital from the airport? Uh, it was about seven, eight miles exactly. Oh, somewhere not, okay. bad, not bad. Yeah, yeah. But on the hill it was evening, so I had no idea what. Can't read the map. I have never seen a map in India. You know, the street you go around in a big, big alley. That's all you do. So what I do? So I was standing there till a a cab driver who looks like an immigrant and dirty glasses, smoking, and he says. Brother, where do you want to go? I said, well, the hospital. He said, I said, how much? He said, $3 and a quarter. I said, I had a $5. So I, I go in there, get the car, he takes me up. When I get in the front of the hospital, I was afraid. They may say they don't have a job. But they did accept the job. They said, no, we're expecting you. But we didn't expect you tonight. But we do have a room for you. And here's the key. But I said, I need to send a message to my family that I arrived. You know, there's no telephone to call. I say, I want to send a Western telegram how much it costs, $1.50. So I send two words, arrive safely. 
That's the letter I sent it to. The first night I slept in the Sister Jenna in this world, new world. Wow. I said I had a quarter in my pocket. I put it on a desk. I had four things I belonged. I came in a book, a, and an image of my favorite goddess, that's the Saraswati, and and the Gita, the religious book. I never read much of Gita, but I did bring it in. And and a back of cashew, which the airline had given. I put that thing, when I woke up in the morning, I had a quarter in my pocket. That's all I had. But luckily, the food in the room was available, so I didn't, I, my first paycheck, I sent it to my mom as a gift, so she can buy things up for herself. Dollar exchange was good. My second paycheck was, I paid my plane fare, returned to my grandfather. So this was my, uh, so what was like here when I came here? Your story, wait, Dr. Singh, your story is really, um, where do I find the words? Perseverance, courage, luck. And a blessing um, of the God. Vulnerability, blessings definitely from above. But the blessings also from your mom, the blessings oh, yeah. from your mother. No question about it. My and mom. how you imagine just, okay, everyone, everyone, if you're just tuning in now, I'm having a heart to heart conversation with Dr. Arun Singh, who's a cardiac surgeon. He's worked on over 20,000 hearts. Just think about that a little bit. And what we've been talking about is his journey before he became the successful surgeon in the United States of America, practicing out of Rhode Island. And if you've been with us tuning in or you just tuned in, especially if you've just tuned in, you've missed a lot. Play over this show over and over again. But I'll tell you this. When I listen to Dr. Singh's story, um, Arun Bhai, it inspires me so much. Because when we hear of individuals coming out of Bharat, out of Mother India, with conditions that are not always the best. I mean, look where your father ended up in a hospital with 30 beds, dogs, pigs, you know, flies, no air condition. It's heartbreaking. And then you come over to the United States of America and you saw firsthand hospitals don't look like that at all in India. That's absolutely and right. what, what, what can you remind me what was going on in you when you stepped into that hospital and you looked around? Do you remember what those first thoughts were apart from telegramming the family that you arrived safely? Well, Do you the, remember what those first thoughts were? The first thing I remember seeing and when I walked in the ward, people have private rooms. People had a television. People have a tray to serve food. They have a toilet. The nurse come and the people coming with the gloves and a tray and a Johnny, we, which we didn't never, I've never seen any of those things. So this was, so, so when I arrived here was, yes, I learned a lot, you know, the, the Western, the world and the culture in, but also I, we faced a lot of problems, lots of discrimination, you know, Many of us, when I was Worcester, was mostly white people there, and they did not know many of the Indians. They want to know whether I'm a Cuban or whether I'm a Caribbean or Afro-American. When I would <laughs> say that I'm from India, they would say, oh, yeah, 
only character they know from Jungle Gandhi. Book or half naked, <laughs> you know, Gandhi half naked ascetic, you know, or they will know Snake Charmer and they will ask me a question. Do you ride around the elephants? You know, this is in the 60s. Even people were, you know, our accents were a little bit different, but, sure. you know, which has become very, very popular later on in the movie and sitcoms and things like that. But they, many of them, this is a, a cultural ignorance for a lot of people. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we, we face, you know, a lot of this, it was not easy. It was, it was the, in the 60s, was, life was different for immigrants, much more worse than what you see now. We have country but has you had something. Problems. You had something different, Dr. Singh. You had pain that was really deep. And that pain kept pushing you to allow that vision to emerge, which, I mean, look at the students of today. Look at the med students of today. They've got like everything laid out. Parents paid their medical fees. You know, they have a car, there's a home. And I don't know how driven they are in terms of the profession of medicine, but you were like hanging on a wire and you had mom back home and you had the family and you were in a completely different culture. But brother, you broke through it. No, I had you the drive. It. I had the drive. Yeah, you definitely had the drive. There's no doubt. I had no the drive and determination and grit. And I had multiple failures, sister. You know, if you say that, you know, I succeed every day. No, I had multiple, multiple failures. Everywhere I failed. Everywhere I failed. But more I fell. I became much stronger. I learned from failure. You were learning, though, weren't you? You learned yeah. things that maybe you wouldn't have learned if you were just Mr. You know, touch everything yes. and have yeah, this mojo. Yeah. So, so tell me when you did your first surgery, what did that feel like when you knew what those hands had gone through? Well, let you, me tell you, first of all, I never thought of being a heart surgeon. First of all, I never wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to be a medical doctor, if anything else. My grandfather, who maternal grandfather, he had said that many years ago, because when I was a kid, don't ever become a surgeon, because AIDS is your going to be enemy. People are going to see your gray hair, glasses, shaky hand. He says, surgeon is very old, not become a medical doctor. So I didn't like it. You know, as I say, I always look at like a revolt, you know, I, I did opposite. I said, I'm, someday I will become a surgeon. And that's what made me to become a surgeon. I was never, remember, this hand was crippled. So in order to do the surgery, you need a real good hand-eye coordination. I had none. So when I was a resident, when I was getting training, I had a hard time. And I wanted to be orthopedic surgeon. Here I was 120 pounds, you know, 5'8". And I had to deal with 220-pound patients, 6'3". I couldn't lift them. I couldn't do it. So I was failure as an orthopedic. I couldn't do it. So I decided to become, I saw a heart surgery, in a, I had a young kid, delicate operator. I said, maybe I could do it, but I needed dexterity. I didn't. Have. So how did I do it? Every night in the residence, when you're resident training, uh, they have very long duty hours. Nine o'clock, eight o'clock in New York City, people will go to the theater or whatever they do, party. I went to my room and I practiced sewing on my pillow for an hour and a two every night. And believe me, sister, I did it till I retired to have my hands swift and moving. And I, and I can assure you, my pillows 
in my room were better embroidered than the pillows in New York or, or France or London in a past hotel. I had a much, much more. So gradually, gradually I got the dexterity is back. But I wanted to be a heart surgeon. But there was a lot of discrimination. Who were the heart surgeons those days in the 60s and 70s? The people who were white, six foot tall, who had, they went to the private school and over a chart, showed they came from Westchester County, a Marine County. They had a perfect set of teeth. They had perfect scores. They played tennis. They had a, they had a trust fund. If they failed, there was no, there was no place for the Indians or immigrants or the Afro-Americans or even the women. So this was a tough, uh, daunting job to get it. And I did not get it till I finished my training by luck by one of the professors. The position opened up in Rhode Island. This last minute, they couldn't find anybody. I was turned down everywhere. I was turned down everywhere, including in Rhode Island Hospital. I was turned down Rhode Island Hospital five years ago because they said there's no place for it. So I never told them, but when they gave me position, I said, I will show them what you missed. It. And, I, and I never went. I had opportunity to go to Boston at the Harvard. I did not. I said, this is the place who turned me down five years ago. <laughs> I will show them what you missed. And, and that did. you did. I mean, you've and done over 20,000 heart surgeries yeah, along I, with I, I, over 5,000 related procedures. And, and uh, sister, you're top I of did, the line in Rhode Island, no? Yeah, well, I, sister, I did more heart surgery than anybody north and east of Mason-Dixon line. Anybody in Boston, Maryland, New York, it has their own surgeon. I, I would, what was the reason for my success? Three reasons, three A's. I was very able. I was amicable and I was available. So I will be, I didn't matter. To me, it didn't matter because of my background, where you come from. I never question you. Why are you in this position? Why are you a single mother? Why are you a drug addict? Why, what got you to that? Why you don't have insurance? Why you not? I'm there to provide the service. I'm here yeah. to somebody. That to, you have, Dr. You know, you, you've done that. Somebody took care of when I didn't have. And it's my obligation, my duty to provide the service. To do that. To that. And I well, did. I'm glad you are because you have continued to maintain your compassion in your field, which sometimes I think some of the medical physicians, they kind of check out. They don't mean to. Yeah. but they check out, you know, it just happens because of the, the yeah. profession. So is there was, anything happening with you now? Anything new that you can update us with? Are you working on something special? You know, well, what I'm doing is three things, sister. I always think the country, America, you know, you hear about the racial issues and all other things. I'm talking to the high school kids, public school kids, giving a talk. Listen, because a lot of public school kids have no facility. If I can do, you can do too. You know, you're growing up in a ghetto, but let me show you, I had worse than you had. You were American, you're born here, and you have, are immigrant, whatever. you have better facility than I had. If I can do it, you can. If I can make a change in the life of a few people, I'm not saying everyone is worth it. Second thing what I do, I run, I go work in a Florida free clinic. For the free clinic, the people who are uninsured had no insurance. I take care of them. Doesn't if you have insurance or health care, we will not. 
will, will provide the service. And the third thing, which I have a passionate about it, is that I teach in the Brown Medical School students assessment and also to Bryant University, which is a physician assistant, they are the caretaker for the people. I tell the people, look, you know, to all of these, you know, yes, there's a lot of discrimination. Yes, discrimination is everywhere in a culture and a society, naming which country did not. I grew up in India, I had a discrimination. My grandfather didn't like me because he married my mom in a lower caste. So, so it's not. In this country, look, English hated the Germans, the Irish hated the Italian, everybody hated the Jews, you know? And American hated the immigrants till they registered, till they came. So what is the thing? America is blessed with the founding document, principle and value. And if you have something wrong, you can raise your hand and you can flaw mm. the system. You can say Don't you it. love that about America yeah. though? So you can. So I'm, yeah. you know, as to me, I have two mothers. India gave me the birth, gave it the value, installed its values and family values, history. America gave me the opportunity. But yeah, those of yeah. but those of for those of who born here, I want to tell them, those who those who born in this country, this is your home. For those of us who came from far and away, this is our adopted home. The most mm -hmm. important, this is our promised land. Beautiful, this Dr. Mansing. Can I tell you? This is the, our promised land, and let yes, me tell is. you. And let me tell you. America fulfilled its promise, and it has illuminates the it it illuminates the light of liberty, hard work in our country. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you so much for that. You know Thanks that's why I do the show. Yeah, this is why I do the show where peace meets doing west. A wonderful thing, and I hope that the people, young kids, what I'm oh. are more interested the younger generation to have these, especially this country, we have a lot of immigrants coming and they have a lot of opportunity. We got to give them equity and equality. But besides the equity and equality, you have one thing, you have to have a drive and determination. You can give all the money, you can give all the opportunity, it isn't going to happen. You got to install a drive and determination and focus. Don't Thank you agree? You. Don't you 100%, 100%, 100%. Everyone, you, I'm sure you've taken so much from my conversation with Dr. Arun Singh. Uh, again, he's been, I guess, what an inspiring story. So much thank, courage. Thank you for having me. Always of course, of course, always. I like to have a, well, actually, I more like to listen to you than to talk with you because it's just such a profound, profound journey one of such such faith and love and and courage so yeah everybody thank you thank you so much for joining us on where east meets west um again you know these conversations that we're having where we're bridging the divide between the east and the west and bringing the best of both worlds right here the best of both worlds like Dr. Singh said, you know, India was birthed him with his values and his ethics and family values. And he came here to America and he got the promised land and that America really fulfills its promise. This is very, very true. So, again, how do we pull from the best of both worlds? 
We must do that. There's nothing wrong with one country or one culture. Everything is right with everyone. If we can just pull from right. that. Everyone brings something on the table. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Every culture, every culture, every religion has positive and negative. Exactly. And I exactly. remember one line, somebody talked to Gandhi many years ago. He says, Hinduism, he says, tell me why is my religion is worse than yours. Explain to me. And they couldn't. He said, I tell you 10 things and you tell me 10 things. So every one of us have to have, it brings a value on a table. You got to look and recognize and take advantage of it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you, if you, if you and I also want to tell people, don't dwell on negativity. Don't dwell on the self-pity, you know. Don't waste your energy, you know, just by anger. You get even. How do you get even? You get even by accomplishment, by achievement, not by Better, right? anger <laughs> and uh, getting anger and, and yeah. drop it so just and say disgruntled and say, well, I'm going to quit. No, you get, mm -hmm. you fight it, but you don't Beautiful. fight with the, you know, by anger. Beautiful. Fight Beautiful. to take the anger somewhere else. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Rin Singh. So remember to drop us a DM at Epilog or at American Meditating Radio and let us know what you think or what you took from this conversation today. And we would be happy to respond to you directly. Take care of yourselves. Be safe and stay positive. Thanks for joining us. Take care. <laughs>